Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to help end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Join us all month for stories of true crime, true con, and urban legends from around the world. Happy Halloween, Hans. Hey, Hunbots and Hun Bros. We have another true crime episode for you. This time, sort of an anthology of true crime stories that happened within the vicinity of the same person. It is a really cool story about learning to trust your gut and see those red flags and zig when everyone else zags. There aren't really any content warnings except for the fact that we are talking about true crime. There is some talk about uh, a murder. There's some talk about some Rico charges. And there's a story about a fraudulent con artist. I want to let you know as we are updating our Patreon that we now have a free tier if you would like to join. We are still reorganizing everything and figuring everything out. I've been asking some input from my current members about different tier benefits that they would like to have once everything is switched over. But anytime that I need input from a group of you, I'm going to go ahead over there and send out some calls to action. So if you're interested in helping out on the podcast, even just as a free member, go ahead over to Patreon and sign up. Today's ghost story comes from the scary stories to tell in the dark book that I got when I was in elementary school, most likely from a scholastic book fair. At the time uh, that I got this book, it was $3.50, which I just, it's very cute and it has my old address in it. And it's just, you can hear the pages. Um, this book is from 1981, but my copy is from 1986. And I'm going to tell a story about trusting your gut because I think it goes with the stories that Claire is about to tell us. This story is called Room for One More, and it is an urban legend that dates back as early as the 1970s. Room for One More. A man named Joseph Blackwell came to Philadelphia on a business trip. He stayed with friends in the big house they owned outside the city. That night, they had a good time visiting. But when Blackwell went to bed, he tossed and turned and couldn't sleep. Sometime during the night, he heard a car turn into the driveway. He went to the window to see who was arriving at such a late hour. In the moonlight, he saw a long black hearse filled with people. The driver of the hearse looked up at him. When Blackwell saw his hideous face, he shuddered. The driver called to him. There's room for one more. Then he waited a minute or two, and he drove off. In the morning, Blackwell told his friends what had happened. You were dreaming, they said. I must have been, he said, but it didn't seem like a dream. After breakfast, he went into Philadelphia. He spent the day high above the city in one of the new office buildings there. Late in the afternoon, he was waiting for an elevator to take him back down to the street. But when it arrived, it was very crowded. One of the passengers looked out and called to him. There's room for one more. It was the driver from the hearse. No, thanks, said Blackwell. Uh, I'll get the next one. The doors closed, and the elevator started down. There was shrieking and screaming, and then the sound of a crash. The elevator had fallen to the bottom of the shaft, and everyone aboard was killed.
Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. Today we are combining true crime and multi-level marketing in a lesson about learning to trust your gut and believe what you feel the first time. So I would like to welcome to the show, Claire. And how are you doing, Claire? Hi, Roberta. I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. It is really great to have you. You sent me a couple stories. You're like, so I'm not really sure what we can talk about. I was involved in this and I was involved in that. And I'm about, I was like, oh, we're going to talk about every single one of those things. Wow. <laughs> so you are in the military, you work with the military and you went to a military college. So let's start there because that's where the first strange story enters the chat. <laughs> sure thing. So I have worked in and around the military my entire career. So when you are in the military, you wear a uniform and you, you know, are in the service. But what a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the military community know is that around the military, there's several different career paths. So you can be a uniform service person, you can be a defense contractor, you can be you know, a military spouse. There's a whole community. I've been all three. <laughs> and so I began my military career right out of high school and I attended a military service academy, the Naval Academy. And that is in Annapolis, Maryland. I went to the Naval Academy in 1994. That gives you an idea of how long I've been doing this and, you know, my approximate age. So when I joined the Naval Academy, I was there for about a year. And then a year after I joined, we had a new freshman class come in. The freshman class of 1995 included a young woman and her name was Diane Zamora. And she was from Texas. She uh, happened to join our company. So we were in the same group. Uh, there was about approximately 90 people in one company at the Naval Academy, and we were housed in the same dorm. I got to know her, obviously. We all trained together. And so at one point, a few weeks after we started my sophomore year, her freshman year, we were chatting one day on the way back from a lecture I was asking her if she had a boyfriend, if, you know, just things about her life. And, you know, she was from Texas, she told me. And I told her that I was dating someone as well. And, and he was at another university a few states away. So that was difficult. And she said, oh, yeah, my boyfriend is at the Air Force Academy. And I said, oh, that's interesting. That must not be easy. You know, you're here and he's all the way out in Colorado because the Naval Academy is in Annapolis, Maryland and the Air Force Academy is in Colorado. So she said, no, it's not. And I said, well, you never know how these things go. I hope things work out with, with my boyfriend. By the way, they did work out. We've been married 25 years now. <laughs> so it wasn't easy, but she started saying to me, I'll, I'll never forget, she said to me, I don't know how you do it. I'm constantly worried that he's cheating on me. And I said, well, you know, you're here at the Naval Academy, you know how hard freshman year is. It's you're training all the time. You really don't have time to date. So I just said to her, is there a reason why you think he's cheating on you? And she goes, I just constantly worry about that. I don't know how you can be away from your boyfriend for so long. I'm just constantly worried that he's cheating on me. And I just thought to myself, well, then maybe it's not a good idea to be in a long distance relationship. I mean, I wasn't sure what to say, but she said it multiple times, and I'll never forget, the conversation never really moved past that one point. Things got very strange, so I, I ended that conversation, and then I, I interacted with her a few more times before I, I went into another company, and then I actually transferred to a outside university at the end of my sophomore year. And so approximately a year after I had that conversation with her, that very strange conversation, the news broke that she had confessed to her roommate at the Naval Academy that she had murdered her boyfriend's lover that he had cheated on her with. So apparently what happened was... When they were in high school, they were high school sweethearts and he ended up 
having a one night stand with this girl on the track team and she found out about it. And so she talked him into murdering this poor girl. Oh my God. If you Google the story, you'll see a bunch of Dateline specials about it. You'll see, you know, Wikipedia page about it. At the time, I mean, this came out later in 1995, 1996, and immediately they were, you know, arrested and, and they went on trial, I think about a year later. They're both in prison now. But when that story broke, I immediately, of course, remembered that conversation I had with her where she seemed fixated on the fact that she was worried about him cheating on her. Well, so she had already, when she was at college with you, she had already committed this crime. Yes. Like him and her had already committed this crime summer before college and then went off to college yes so she's at college and her murderous boyfriend who did in fact cheat on her at one point is at another school and she's hyper fixated on it happening again and also projecting the fact that she murdered i mean obviously she felt guilty she confessed i think that's probably what happened i mean i'm glad she did confess so they found out what happened but if she had not confessed to her roommate rather randomly, apparently, then they never probably would have solved it. So I guess the lesson that I took away from that interaction was kind of a window into evil. It really showed me that obviously it bothered her. Something bothered her, but she seemed hyper fixated on, you know, him cheating on her. And obviously she was suffering mentally from having committed that crime, I'm guessing. But yeah, that was a very good lesson very early in my life. I was 19 when I went through this experience. And I remember thinking, I knew something was wrong with this woman, <laughs> this girl. Right. And I ended the conversation and I never really talked to her again because she creeped me out because she seemed very fixated on something that obviously we all worry about. But she definitely did. Something seemed off with her. So I obviously, you know, that's not I was not the roommate that she confessed to. Thank goodness. I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that. Wow. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. How terrifying, though. I mean, even thinking back and being like, I was sleeping near a murder, like a person that was capable of doing this for even just a couple of months, like even just that is so terrifying. Also, I would assume that from that moment on, once those spidey senses and those fears were actualized and you're like, oh, that's why I got that weird feeling. I'm assuming that just heightened your senses towards, like you said, like that window of evil just a little bit more. Yes. And if you see a picture of Diane Zamora, if you Google her, she's a very tiny woman. She's, she was a tiny girl. She was like, I think, you know, I think she was a little over five feet and she was probably 100, 110 pounds. So not what you would expect a murderer to look like. Right. And so that was my first kind of adult experience with everything and everybody is maybe not always what they appear. So you are in college at a different campus, sort of just absorbing what you just learned. <laughs> right. <I'm... laughs> and the first MLM that comes into your life enters around this time. Correct. So during my senior year, so my husband and I were finishing up our senior year and I was approached by actually his commanding officer at the ROTC unit that he was serving with. So for anyone who's unfamiliar with the military, this was my husband's boss, which looking back was entirely inappropriate, <laughs> just so you know. Yeah. But my husband's boss approached him about joining Primerica. And so my husband brought me along and to a college student, Primerica being a financial services slash insurance, you know, MLM seemed very professional, very academic and we met in the stereotypical, you know, hotel conference room right off the highway, you know, in a, in a rundown uh, hotel. Because I was so young and I was so ambitious and because my husband's boss, who was in his probably 50s at the time and we were in our early 20s, was introducing us to this, it seemed legitimate to me. And so we signed up for it. I did the stereotypical, at the time, this was before cell phones. So we put some postcards and mailboxes 
We did some cold calling. It lasted, honestly, it didn't last very long. It lasted a few months because we were so busy. We were college seniors. We were preparing. My husband especially was preparing for his military career. And so we were trying to figure out where we're going to move. I'll never forget about three months into it, I came into one of the Monday night meetings with the leader guy, you know, and he just started kind of going off on the group and saying, you guys aren't doing anything. You guys, and I said, no, that's not true. I'm absolutely doing something. It's just not working. So what else do you want me to do? And he's like, I want results. I walked out to my car and I'll never forget the guy followed me out to the car and he's like, you know, what, where are you going? I'm like, I am leaving because you're a jerk, you know? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I started up my car and I just left. I never went back because I just did not want anything to do with it anymore. I was very busy for probably the next 10 years. I was finishing my degree and I ended up getting a master's degree. I wanted nothing to do with MLMs. And I was really focused on trying to obtain and get hired on with the government. And so I was really busy. I had my first daughter in 2005 and I was working full-time as a defense contractor. And my husband was an infantry officer. So he deployed to Iraq about six months after 9-11. And then he came back. And then about a year later, he deployed again as a company commander this time. And so at that time, my first daughter was about two years old. So I had just finished my master's degree. I had a two-year-old daughter at home. I'm by myself. My husband's at war. It was a very busy, stressful time for me. And so I got a call from one of my husband's old commanding officers who had retired. They had retired and moved back to the Midwest. And he and his wife asked me if I wanted to come visit for the weekend. They would fly me out because, you know, it was a tough time. I was home by myself. My husband was at war. I had my daughter and they had three daughters and, you know, they just made the offer and I thought it was wonderful and I was excited to go. So I flew out there with my two-year-old at the time and I stayed with them for a four-day weekend. And Literally within the first hour that I showed up at the house, (laughs) I'll never forget this. Within the first hour, the wife started telling me about this wonderful new opportunity she had joined called Arbonne. (laughs) No. (laughs) Remember, Roberta, I just want to paint the picture again. I am a working mom of a two-year-old, which is stressful enough. But my husband is at war. He is not on the sidelines either. He's an infantry officer. This family I'm visiting knows exactly what position I'm in because they did the same thing for many years. And it became clear to me that she wanted me to join Arbonne with her. And she was telling me all about, you know, she called everybody hun, all the stereotypical stuff that Arbonne has done to many other people. And she told me that her goal was to retire her husband. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, I mean, you guys are already retired. You're already getting a military <laughs> pension. You know, like, like, you know, you just want to be rich. I get it. Okay. But I really just need emotional support here. You know, like I would just be happy if my husband comes home from war. I don't care about getting rich. <laughs> right. I mean, is she trying to retire her husband from retirement? I don't know. He was still working. I mean, remember, Roberta, when you retire from the military, you often retire when you're in your early to mid 40s because you only have to serve 20 years. I mean, oh, right. There's a reason for that. It's so difficult. But a lot of people who retire from the military are still working because they're still able to work. My husband is retired from the military now, but, you know, we still have two kids to put through college, so he's still working. Right. So in when you retire in the military, does that just mean you start collecting that retirement pension? Correct. So you're getting double paid, essentially. Correct. Okay. You know, depending on your individual circumstances, you're usually pretty financially stable. It wasn't any of my business. All I really cared about, honestly, was to get, at the time, was to get some emotional support because I was scared to death my husband was not going to come home. And so instead of getting that, 
I had to defend myself because remember I was building my government career at the time and I was putting a lot of work and effort into that. And here I am like deflect this woman who's trying to talk me into Arbonne and try not to offend her at the time because I know exactly why it's a bad idea, but I don't want to offend her. And so I just kind of politely said, well, maybe I'll look into it. You know, it was a whole lot of that for four days straight. I could not get out of there fast enough. And I'll never forget the worst part of that experience though. And I think a lot of your listeners who've gone through something similar will relate is that I love these people like they were parents to me, you know, they were 15, 20 years older than me. And that whole weekend, it changed our relationship forever. I didn't trust them anymore. I didn't want to see them again. I lost them as friends because I mean, maybe that's too harsh, but it just left me with a very empty, hurt feeling. It was not what I needed at the time. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet, and they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Absolutely. You're a young mother. Your husband is fighting in a massive war. Massive war. Correct. And you go to friend's house who understand your situation for moral support, for a little socialization, a little break so someone else can play with your daughter so you can just get a little bit of time. Yes. I get it. And while you're there, it's a three-day-long 
Arbon pitch. Yes. That gets increasingly more awkward and more aggressive. And you're like, I can't tell her to shove it because she's part of this bridge I don't want to burn for my career. <laughs> so it's like, what do you do? She was not a, a terrible person. She was just, even at the time, I recognized that she was drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Persistent. Yes. And I knew that it wasn't going to work for her, but I didn't want to offend her. And so, yeah, it was just a very, I mean, that happens so much. I know that we're not currently at war, but I spent 10 years, I was a military spouse for 22 years. 10 of those years, my husband, you know, was coming or going to war. And it was not a unique experience to see another military spouse that you haven't seen in three, four years. And then, oh, your husband came back. That's great. Oh, by the way, do you want to come to my Arbonne party? Like, it's just a disgusting relationship connection. Don't you think our relationship is much deeper than, you know, you coming to my MLM party? It's just really sad how pervasive the MLMs are in the military community because you're dealing with people who are very service oriented and who are very, very unselfish and who work hard. And quite honestly, they're the perfect victims for these scams. And, you know, I was one of them and I saw that and it unfortunately just harmed a lot of the relationships that I had with other military spouses. Well, not only are military spouses like the perfect victim for MLMs, MLMs are the perfect scam for the military because you can pick it up and take it anywhere. And even if that MLM isn't in the country that you get stationed in, you're living on a base, which is a U.S. address, and they'll ship to military bases, even if you're not in the country. So really, you can take this anywhere you go. And they're like, it's a built-in system and all of your friends. I mean, it is really sad how perfect the scam is and how they use that to promote it within that community. Oh, absolutely. It really makes me angry. And it's still the case. You know, I currently don't live near a military base anymore, but I still work remotely for the government for the military. But every time I'm on a military base on work travel, I see it anywhere. It's still very much the case. I was just actually on vacation about six months ago, and my husband took my daughter down to the pool. I wasn't even there. My husband took my daughter to the pool and started talking with another military person. And all of a sudden, I get a friend request from his wife. I'm sitting in the room by myself watching TV, and he comes back upstairs, and I'm like, who is this? And he goes, oh, yeah, his wife wanted your name so that she could tell you that she works for Beachbody, mm. and she has an for you. And I'm like, are you serious? And he goes, I couldn't get out of it. I, you know, I just wanted to be nice. So I looked her up and then I sent her a nice note and she had already met my husband and we were about 10 years older than them. And I said, listen, you seem like a nice lady. Please reconsider these MLMs. I've watched so many of us lose money and relationships with this. And again, I don't mean to offend you, but please consider something else. I mean, her husband was a disabled war veteran and these MLNs had gotten a hold of them. And I tried my best, Roberta, to warn her. You think she listened to me? No, she messages me and tells me that, you know, I have a negative mindset and that she can't listen to someone like me because she will not be successful. And I mean, there's nothing you can say. It, when someone is enveloped in that scam, unless, you know, they're the least bit open, there's nothing you can say. There really isn't. People have to be willing to hear it. And people who are in the middle of building their business are not the people that are willing to hear it. They've already invested enough money that it's embarrassing to be like, oops, I totally got scammed. And so they double down. They want you to be wrong. There, There is a little bit of self-awareness with MLM Huns. There has to be. I had it. Absolutely. You know, there has to be some self-awareness. Even if you're still on the MLM side, there's still like, I still felt the don't message that person. They're not going to say yes or no. They're going to give you a spiel about how this is a scam. Just skip it. Like there, it happens, right? And it's so heartbreaking to hear that because we know the realities. You know the realities as a military, like being in the military and being a military spouse and seeing it and being in MLMs. You have all of these unique perspectives. 
and to say, hey, look, I don't want to offend you. I just want to help you. And to get that in return. And again, you've never even met. You're just like a name at the pool or whatever. Like, and you still get this response. Well, and again, I'm not surprised. I tried my best. And when she said that, I was like, all right, block. I mean, you know, it, my, my life's going to go on. I feel very, it's just so disgusting to me that the industry takes such advantage of all people, but especially military service members who, again, are the perfect, the perfect target. So, well, there's something we say on the show every so often, and, and it's that most people join three MLMs. So what was your third MLM that came across your plates? <laughs> <laughs> so you would think that, you know, after my primarica experience, that I quickly ran away from. And then my, you know, horrific Arbonne exposure <laughs> that I just detailed, that I would be immune to MLMs, but I was not because I ended up being pitched an opportunity around 2010. I was introduced to a company called Visalis. It was a fitness like protein shake company. And at the time, I was actually pretty well into fitness. I was training for triathlons, and I did really well managing my weight on fitness shakes. So I had been approached. And so I actually was into, because I work in technology, I wanted to learn a lot about internet marketing. At the time, Visalis was pitching their opportunity as a cutting-edge, internet-savvy business that could teach you how to blow up your business on social media, et cetera, et cetera. So it piqued my interest because I was in technology already and I wanted to get really good at it. And so I joined and I went to a conference in Denver, Colorado, which was interesting because I'll never forget at the time I had my government career going and if anyone you know works for the government or around government, it's not exactly exciting especially in technology, right? You know, it's, it's very dry. And so these network marketing conferences, they're there to, you know, it's all hype. They want to hype you up and get you excited. And, you know, so it was definitely a breath of fresh air, but I'll never forget. I'm like buying my tickets and stuff. And I'm like, man, this is the first work trip I've had to pay for myself because I'd forgotten how expensive they were because I never had to pay for it because I have a job that pays for my work trips. So I fly myself, but I wanted to get to know these people and see if this is something I wanted to do because I was into fitness at the time and I liked the product actually. So I wanted to use it anyway. So I'll never forget. I went to this conference. It was a two or three day event and they did their spiel and they talked about Jesus. The first thing that happened at that conference that made me concerned was that they talk nonstop about their donations that they make to a local food bank. And so they actually brought these three teenagers on stage and they said, we just donated three meals a day to this family. And this poor family, like these three teenagers come on stage and are like, here's who we donated it to. And then they walk off the stage and I'm thinking, that is just so crass like when you make donations to a food bank who among us if you're in need wants to go on stage you know and display themselves so i knew that it was either complete bullshit right or it was in very poor taste and it started to really leave a bad taste in my mouth so then later that night they went through the whole explaining the opportunity and what you can do and then one of the founders, there were three main guys who founded this company, apparently. One of the founders was talking nonstop about his new girlfriend, who was one of the representatives. And of course, she was very physically attractive, because apparently that's the measure of your worth as a woman in our society, of course. And so he brings her up on stage and introduces her and says how much money she makes. And I'm thinking... Of course, this has nothing to do with the fact that she's dating you. I can't imagine, you know. And then he stands next to her and points to her and says, guys, can you tell I'm successful? Take a look. Can you tell I'm successful? Like, because she's so beautiful. Wow. I'll never forget. I was so like, I'm looking around me and I'm thinking, that's a joke, right? Like, 
I know I work for the government and I live in like boring nothingness every day, but that's just disgusting. Like, I can't, like, does he not expect every woman in this room to be offended? And I'm like, this is just gross. So I actually left that conference convinced I wanted nothing to do with this company, <laughs> the opposite effect on me. And so I kind of breadcrumbed it for a couple months and then didn't renew. And then about a year later, it came out in the news that the founders were indicted on federal racketeering charges. I just remember something major and federal came out about a year after I had seen them in person. And again, I was not surprised after what I had seen. At that point in my life, I really realized that I could trust that instinct that I had, that when I felt this way, that someone was gross and someone, you know, was doing things that didn't seem right to me, that I, that my instincts were correct. Does that make sense? Yeah, because you're kind of two for two at least, right? right. Like you were like, Diane Zamora is kind of weird. And then it's like, Diane Zamora is a murderer. This company is kind of strange. And they're like, this company is facing RICO charges. Correct. And you're like, oh. So Vaisalis, which is interesting, I am familiar with this company. One of my friends who also sold LuLaRoe with me sold Vaisalis back in the early ten, you know, 2010s before, obviously, they were indicted. Um, and they had their flagship product was the the shake that you talk about. It's called Body by Vi. Yes. So maybe someone's like, oh, Body by Vi. I remember that. And they were supposed to be just no like delicious shakes or whatever. So I pulled up Vaisalis' Wikipedia page. I threw it in the show notes so you guys can follow along as well. If you scroll down about halfway, it says controversies. And there are three. Yeah. So we were only expecting the racketeering, but there's more. So we're going to start with the earliest. So in 2012, CNBC commentator Herb Greenberg said, Vi walks a controversial line between legal direct selling and pyramid scheme. Yes. I feel like all of us know that that line doesn't really exist. Right. And Vi was investigated by the Southern Investigative Reporting Foundation, which published a detailed report that assailed the company's business model and high probability that investors will lose money in the scheme. So they're like, hey... This is a pyramid scheme. In October 2013, so a year later, charges were filed in the U.S. federal court that Nick Sarnicola yes. and Blake Mallon, on behalf of Vi, had committed RICO violations by engaging in third party, engaging third party individuals to commit criminal acts, extortion, and other violations against Fred Nino and Kevin Dunn of Ocean Avenue. The lawsuit said that it was a competing direct selling nutrition company. It's very interesting, right? So we've got these, we've got these RICO charges. We've got these pyramid scheme allegations. In April 2016, this goes back to the pyramid scheme charge. A class action lawsuit was filed against them for racketeering and fraudulent pyramid scheme selling of distribution rights. And then in April of 2019, a jury awarded a plaintiff in a class action lawsuit $925 million against Vaisalis for making robocalls. And that was upheld by a federal judge in 2020. So this company is like so shady, like even more shady than just Rico. Yes. And what's important to note, though, is when I was considering, you know, coming on here and, and telling my story, I Googled Nick Sarnicola, right? And he he's still at it. I mean, these people, you think getting indicted on RICO charges would, would let you know that there's something wrong with your life choices. No, no, he's doing some marijuana MLMs or something. And if you read his page and his Facebook page, he sells himself as, you know, this millionaire business maker. Like, it's just so amazing that regardless of what happens, these people will not stop. And there's someone out there who believes that they're connected for success working with this guy. You know what I mean? You could tell them, oh, he was indicted on RICO charges. And they're going to be like, oh, well, maybe that was a mistake. I mean, it's just so amazing the lack of accountability and the lack of shame, you know, that these people have. Yeah. So if you go on his Instagram page, which is Nick Sarnicola, <laughs> it says he's an entrepreneur. Yes. A super dad has billions in sales seed and a round investor sales acceleration social impact and then a link to donate to whatever he's working on doesn't mention rico charges doesn't mention pyramid scheme allegations doesn't mention 
nearly a billion dollars in class action lawsuits. Like it doesn't mention any of that. No, none of that. And it also doesn't mention and let me be clear, I think divorce is is very sad and I don't wish it on anybody. But the beautiful blonde woman that he pointed to that he eventually married and had two kids with once the Rico stuff hit, she divorced him. Like they're divorced now. I mean, not that I'm happy about that. But I just think that it's amazing that, again, he still puts himself out there as this successful person. There are people out there who don't know any better. And it's so awful. Wow. Yeah. So all of this was boot camp. (laughs) It was, yes. For the final story that you're going to tell us. Because, again... So far, you're doing pretty great on being like, this seems like a shady character. And then them popping up on the news later and the news being like, this is a shady character. Yes. So let's talk about the day that you were at the playground and you met the next man we're going to talk about. (laughs) Sure. So fast forward to 2011, my husband and I and my daughter moved to the DC area. So if you're familiar with the DC area, it's three states, you know, there's like a tri-state area, DC, Maryland, and Virginia. We lived in Northern Virginia, very close to the Pentagon, where my husband was stationed. And remember, I worked for the government as well. But when I was pregnant with my second daughter, I ended up taking a year off just because we had moved and I was pregnant and I wanted to take a break. So effectively at that time, even though I had built a career by that point, I was a stay-at-home mom. I uh, would walk my older daughter to school and then I would wait for her after school and then I would go sit with her at the playground and a lot of the other moms and some of the stay-at-home dads, because there's a lot of stay-at-home dads in the D.C. area, would meet out there and let our kids play and then we would usually walk or drive home. On one of those occasions, I had... Uh, come out to the playground and started meeting the other parents. And there was this dad whose son was the same age as my older daughter. And we started talking with the rest of the group. And he started telling me a bit about his background. And he told me that he had worked for the DEA, which is a government agency, and that he, you know, nothing unfamiliar because everybody in that area works for the government or around the government, right? So I was asking him, you know, about his work and stuff because I worked in the same industry. And he told me that he worked for a tabloid magazine as a journalist. Then he explained to me that he had been in the army previously and had a war injury. It was just very strange. And so I asked him, oh, well, where did you serve? And he instantly was like, well, I was, you know, infantry army. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. My husband's infantry Marine Corps. Were you in this part? Were you in that part? You know, and I could tell immediately he was backing out of the conversation pretty quickly because, well, I know now because it was completely, you know, bullshit. Right. (laughs) But I could tell that he did not want to go into detail. And so I just thought it was very strange. But I didn't care much, right? He was just another, you know, parent at the playground. And the next day I would sit out there and I watched him go from like person to person telling the same story, talking about how great he was, talking about the fact that he had been at the top of these agencies. At the time I was a stay-at-home mom, but I'd worked in high levels of government by that point. And I'm like, people who are as high ranking as he claims to be are usually way too busy quite frankly, to be picking up their son every day and sitting at the playground for an hour. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like something seemed very strange. Eventually, I just started to uh, think of him as just a creepy guy who I really didn't want to be around because he kind of reminded me, quite honestly, of 
when you're in college and you're doing the bar scene and the creepy guy comes up and won't stop talking to you. He was that kind of that time. I mean, granted, we were you know much older by that point. But I just thought to myself, I just don't really like him. He's creepy. Well, about a week after I first met him, we were standing around. My husband came to pick us up. He had gotten off work early and he came and he was in uniform and he walked up while Garrison was standing there. And so at that point, Garrison saw that my husband was a military officer and he introduced himself and he just came right over. And and I, I thought, okay, you know, this is interesting. But then the next day he started talking nonstop about... <laughs> how he had inside information on government contracts. And if my husband or I wanted to get more information about how we could secure government contracts with him, that he could really help us out. And I thought to myself, okay, this is definitely something that I know is not right because of my professional experience. You know, I certainly wasn't going to come right out and tell him that he was committing a violation. I just ignored him. And, you know, I found ways to get out of the conversation. Then I find out later, because we lived in a closed kind of townhouse community, we all had little kids. So we went to the same restaurants, saw each other at the playground. He ends up attaching himself to my husband eventually after a few weeks. And then he starts asking him to go out and have drinks together. And I told my husband, I said, there is something wrong with this guy. I don't know what it is. And I'm not talking about, I just don't like him. I'm talking about like, he tried to talk to me about government contracts, which is not something that, you know, you should do. Anyway, my husband kind of, he's like, well, I'm just going to have a few drinks with him, but we're not going to be doing anything serious. So he goes out with him a few times. And then about two months later, he comes home and he goes, oh yeah, guess what? You were right. I'm like, oh, I'm always right. But what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, guess what our friend Garrison said to me tonight? I'm like, I don't know what. He goes, he told me he was in the CIA. He's in the CIA. Yes. Yeah. Isn't like rule number one of the CIA is you don't talk about how you're in the CIA? It's like Fight Club, right? That's exactly right. That is literally exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) So I know it's funny now. But you have to understand that we're military professionals. So when he said that, I said, oh, great. You know what this means, right? He's like, yeah, I know what it means. What it means, you know, for people who are not affiliated with the military is that now you have to report him as a potential threat because (laughs) he's trying to probe us, myself and my husband, for information about the government. And if you are approached in that manner as a military professional, you are obligated to report it to your command. And so my husband was like, oh crap, you know, (laughs) I gotta go report this guy. He went to work, he explained to his boss what was going on. His boss, you know, was like, okay, well, let me take a report. He didn't think much of it. Because remember, military people are people, we're human, we make mistakes, right? So this guy wasn't asking for trade secrets to China. He was just telling everybody he was in the CIA, which every guy who's trying to hit on a woman in a bar in DC probably says, right? (laughs) Right. And so I said, you know, go ahead and, and make a report on it. And if anything else comes up, I'll let you know. Well, a couple months after that, I was at the coffee shop, literally with my child, my my toddler at the time. And Garrison is sitting across from me at another table with a military officer. And he's, I mean, this is how dumb this guy was, Roberta. He was literally, I could hear him. I could hear him telling this military officer that I have tons of inside CIA contracts. And I'm literally sitting there. With my daughter in the coffee shop hearing him say this, I'm, I'm hearing him commit a federal crime. I don't tell Garrison I'm there, but he can see me. I'm in the coffee shop, you know, but of course, I don't know how else to say this, but as a stay-at-home mom, you're quite often visible. People don't understand or assume that just because I happen to be there with my child, that I don't have a professional background that will allow me to understand that a federal crime is being committed right in front of me, right? Or two ears to hear a conversation about classified information in the lobby of a Starbucks. Correct. I mean, (laughs) that's exactly right. 
And so I went straight home that night. I told my husband, he's like, oh, man. Not again. (laughs) Seriously. He went to work. He told them what was going on. And they're like, okay, well, we'll put it in. I don't know what's going to happen. You know what happened? I'm going to guess nothing. Nothing happened. My husband never went out with him again. I avoided him like the plague. He continued to be a complete mess and a half. He ended up, you know, just having a lot of personal problems and he created a lot of drama in the neighborhood. We just moved on with our lives. And then one more thing I did do was he had talked himself into becoming a keynote speaker at George Mason University, which is in Northern Virginia. And he had created a fictitious company for this scam that he was doing. And he sold his lecturing, you know, skills to George Mason University and had an entire website about it. And so get this, Roberta, because I like to do the right thing. I emailed George Mason University and I told them, you really should look into this guy. I think he's a con artist. I really don't think. And the lady emailed me back and she said, you know, for legal reasons, I cannot respond to your email. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm trying to tell you people like, what's wrong with you. So anyway, fast forward, we had moved on. We had moved out to the suburbs by that point. My baby, you know, grew up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, it hit the news I forget what year. You'll have to look it up for me. I think it was 2018 or... Oh, let's see. June of 2020. Oh, that's right. Much later. That's when this was all going down. So 2020, right after COVID started. Yes. Many years later, he had been at this scam for years after my husband reported it. So my husband reported it probably around 2012, 2013, right? Finally, in 2020, he gets indicted on seven federal charges. And he had convinced high-ranking military officers that he was a member of the CIA. And what he did was, it was a, a financial scheme in that he convinced them, if you give me money, if you give me a bribe, basically, I will give you the inside track on CIA contracts. Because he convinced them that he was a CIA insider. Wow. <laughs> yes. He had convinced several very high-ranking military officers, as well as defense contracting firms, that he had the inside track on military contracts. Now, keep in mind that even when these military officers were told that he's a con artist, they refused to acknowledge it because it meant that they would suffer in their career because they would have to admit that they had been taken in by a, a security threat. Does that make sense? And so... I was shocked. I mean, I was shocked that he actually got caught. I was not surprised that he was doing it because I witnessed it myself. I guess my point is that because of my previous experiences with MLMs and shady people, I was able to spot him within hours. Even a stay-at-home mom (laughs) like me. And What's more important to share is that even when people like me and my husband reported him, no one did anything, no one followed up, no one cared to until after he had stolen like $4 million, right? Wow. Yeah. And so he's still in prison. He is definitely, I doubt this will be the last scam he does. I'm sure he'll get out in a couple years and go right back to it like they all do. That's definitely something that would not surprise me. So I pulled up his wiki page and down at the bottom, it says wire fraud, which is what he was convicted of. It says in June, 2020, Garrison Courtney pleaded guilty to wire fraud involving his posing as a CIA agent in a scheme that spanned from 2012 to 2016. So you were right there at the beginning of it. He swindled at least a dozen companies out of over $4.4 million by convincing them that they would receive lucrative government contracts funded by the black budget, which is for like covert secret operations in exchange for putting him on their payroll as a cover for his job as a spy. It's always a fake Story about a CIA spy. All right. So to bolster his credibility, he developed a fake backstory 
claiming that he was a U.S. Army veteran from the Gulf War who had killed hundreds in combat, suffered from lung injuries from the smoke in the Iraq oil fields, and was the assassination target of a foreign intelligence service that tried to poison him with ricin. On October 28, 2020, he was sentenced to seven years in prison. He got more than Billy McFarland. <laughs> and he only stole $4.4 million. I know. And I don't know how long he's actually going to spend. I think that <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's so sad if you think about it. Because in a lot of these cases, there are people who see it right away. But because we may not have you know, the rank or the credibility to point it out. And also there's this bias, right? If people are just not open to hearing the truth, there's nothing you can say. No, there's nothing you can say. And you have to be happy. Like for myself, I'm just happy that I did not spend a second of my life wrapped up with this guy, right? Because of my previous experience, I recognized it right away. I mean, who knows? Maybe he would have talked me and my husband into doing something potentially criminal if I had not recognized it, right? Absolutely. So it's just, it's, it's a very sad fact of life that when you go through these experiences, like with MLMs and with people, even though it's painful to understand that you have been deceived, be grateful for the experience because it will teach you to trust your gut and trust your instinct. And then later that may save you from something a lot bigger, a lot more potentially serious, like it did for me. So I'm actually kind of grateful that I had those early experiences with MLMs because if I had not and learned from them, I may have not recognized this person so quickly. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Wow. But I mean, how cool on like a really weird, creepy kind of way that like you were just on the outside of all of these things right. and like saw it every time. You're like, that person's weird. That thing's weird. That guy's creepy. And you were right. Like you're three for three. Yeah, I guess you're three for three. Claire. <laughs> <laughs> if not more, I'm very happy that I did not get too wrapped up in any of these things. I think that there's a natural amount of embarrassment and shame that you have any kind of experience or exposure to MLMs. But I mean, I think that it's a very healthy way to look at it. For example, like with yourself, I think that the work that you're doing is so vital and important and you never would have been put into this role if it were not for your previous experience. And so many people would not benefit from the service that you provide if you had not experienced that. I mean, I don't know that maybe that's a campy way of looking at it. But I think that what I want to express to the audience is that this idea that you need to trust your gut and go with your instincts is definitely something that is not taught early and often enough. And I think that if you did not do it before, you certainly will now. And it's definitely something that you have to see as a very important lesson to be learned. Yeah. I mean, I'm now thinking about times in my life where I had bad feelings about people or things and I was right. And just like thinking about those instances and being like, yeah. And then after MLM, because so many times when I thought this is weird, this is wrong, and it was explained away with a love bombing or a trip or a pair of shoes or whatever that I was like oh it's probably I'm probably wrong and then I wasn't and like to just think about all those instances and having to relearn coming out of MLM and coming out of all this stuff relearning how to trust my gut and it's so much stronger now too because I hear stories like this and I'm like oh that guy sounds shady right and I can see it now too but I think a lot of times people I'll get messages from people saying, oh, Roberta, is this person a scam or is this like a coaching scam or is, or is this an MLM? And, you know, I get them less often now because we're teaching people how to figure out those answers themselves other than just going to Google and typing it in, but saying, do you get this feeling? You know, like, is this the language that's been used? Is this the way that this was said? Was there like emphasis on certain words? And people are seeing it. And now what I'm getting instead of Roberta, is this an MLM? Roberta, I was right. Check out this thing. And then they'll send it to me and they're like, I knew it. 
And it's really become this interesting shift, which is so great. Awesome. Because here you are telling us, trust your gut. And that's what I'm trying to tell people and teach people. And I think like people are healing again and they're listening to the show and they're realizing that weird feeling. It wasn't something that I needed to push to get out of my comfort zone. Like I was right on the money there. Right. You definitely grow as a person because of those negative experiences. So, you know, there should be no shame or embarrassment. This is something that you have to go through in order to become a better person and avoid potential future situations that could be much worse. Yeah. And I mean, we're taking the stigma away from being duped. We're the victims here. We're not the bad guy. We shouldn't feel bad for being scammed. We should feel angry. We should feel pissed off. Correct. We should feel like, hey, that wasn't cool. That guy scammed me versus like, oh, no, I was scammed. I don't want to tell anybody. They'll think I'm an idiot. Let's be strong and say, I knew this was weird. And it was. And I said something and I helped other people realize that this was weird, too. Because, again, every instance here (laughs) ended with some sort of legal ramifications for all of these strange instances that you found yourself on, like, the outside of. Correct. It's definitely, now that I've kind of gone through it for myself, talk about bullets dodged. (laughs) I'm like, I feel like you should open up a how to trust your gut consulting company. This was something that I learned because of those experiences. Not, I certainly would not have realized it otherwise. So I honestly think that those of us who have gone through negative MLM experiences should be dare I say, grateful that we, you know, learned our lessons, however painful they may be. Because again, it just makes us smarter people. It does. Well, I mean, Claire, like this was such a fun journey of true crime and scams and MLMs. Like we almost hit every single one. We just didn't (laughs) talk about any cults. (laughs) You know what I mean? We hit like every single bullet point about what this show is about. I'll have to... uh, Save myself. Yeah. No cults on the horizon for me. (laughs) Thank goodness because of this. But, you know, also more importantly, I have two kids. I have two daughters who, because of my experiences, will never join a cult and will never join an MLM. You know, I teach my children. And so my daughter actually just started college and she jokes about it. She's like, you know, some of her friends are joining Mary Kay and the Knives MLM or whatever. And she's like, I keep trying to tell them, but they don't listen to me. I'm like, they won't. Don't, don't even try, you know, unfortunately, they don't have me as a mom. <laughs> uh, right? Oh, yeah. I have the same. I have two girls and they obviously know about MLMs, but one of their favorite things to do when we go out and about here in San Diego, go for walks, go downtown or go to the park, they like to look for cults who are recruiting. Look, there's another one. Oh, no. I'm just like, wow, stay away from them, please. Seriously, that's all you can do. Yeah. It is very interesting. With the new generation of like Gen Z and Gen A, I think are going to be a a much better off generation for the mistakes that us Gen Xers and us millennials made when we were their age, you know? I hope so. I mean, remember, social media helps the MLM scams too. So that's why, again, I really support the work that you do because it is only through work like yours that there will be a voice of reason injected into this chaos that they create on social media. I mean, you have to remember that we were all young once. We all did not know to trust our gut. You have to learn that through life. Yeah. I think that it's just very important that those of us who have come to realize this try and understand that the dynamics of these cults and schemes are so insidious and they can really destroy lives, as we all know. So be very grateful and happy that you're on this side of it. You know, it takes a lot of the shame out of these experiences, I hope. Yeah. Claire, are you ready to do some rapid fire questions about being involved in multiple instances of true crime? Oh, I guess so. Yes, sure. So give me one word that encompasses how you feel about trusting your gut. It is a learned exercise. It is something that you develop over time and experience. Give me a warning. To somebody who is pushing the boundaries and ignoring their gut feeling. I would say a good warning would be that 
try and think of any situation where something good happened from ignoring your gut. There isn't one, right? <laughs> so That's a hard lesson. <laughs> and most of us have to learn it a few times. What is the worst MLM in your opinion? The worst MLM is the MLM that you are thinking about joining at that time. I would definitely have to go with that. MLMs are not very different at the roots. They're all based on a lie. They're all based in, you know, they're all scams. So regardless of what it is, whichever one has caught your interest and whichever one you're considering joining is the worst one at that time. I mean, that's a harsh reality, but you're 100% right. The hardest lesson you learned by ignoring your gut. The hardest lesson I learned was that I was not as smart as I thought I was, which in the end turned out to be not the case because we go through these things ideally very early in our life. So we have plenty of time to learn these lessons as we get older, obviously. And so I think that it comes as a shock to a lot of people who are on the younger end of life, that they're not as smart as they think they are. And I think that it's very important that you accept that early so that you're open to learning the realities of life and trusting your gut. And I feel like most of the takeaways from trusting your gut are going to be positive. So give me your favorite one. Oh, my favorite. Well, I mean, practically, I avoided probably a lot of pain and heartache by recognizing the danger up front, both, you know, financially and professionally and otherwise. But also it really builds your self-esteem when you trust yourself because you don't have to look outside of yourself in order to figure out what your next step should be. Once you realize that you have to trust your own instincts, then you start to, to think a lot more of yourself and learn to realize that, oh, I have learned a lot in my life and I am pretty smart now because of my experience. I love it. Thank you so much, Claire, for sharing all of your really interesting stories. Really appreciated it. I'm glad you think it's interesting. Yeah, it's always fun to, when someone else thinks your life is interesting. I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our new website, at lifeaftermlmpod.com. You can find all of the links to follow in our show notes. Life After MLM is produced by Roberta Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold. And Michelle Carpenter is our triple emerald princess of robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. <laughs>